This podcast is supported by Audible. To find out how you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible, check out audibletrial.com slash lead. This is Saul Kaplan, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? So uh, I'm really an innovation junkie. I, I, you know, I kind of eat, sleep, and breathe this stuff. And I, I think that being an innovation junkie is both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because uh, we always think there's a better way. Right? There's always a better way, whether it's small things like you know, the traffic jam coming into work this morning, you know, and knowing there was a better way to get that information to avoid it. Uh, or bigger things like driving by our public education uh, system and driving by schools and you know, wanting to cry that you know, we've allowed our school system to atrophy the way they have and, and know that we need to change them and improve them. So it's a blessing in that you know, you're always working on improving things, you know, and that's important. It's a curse for the same reason because innovation junkies are never satisfied there's, because there's always a better way. Uh, you know, the job is never done. We don't celebrate what we do because we know we can, prove, can improve upon it you know, the next uh, day. But I wouldn't trade it off uh, for anything. Uh, you know, the work of, uh, of an innovator and making uh, people's lives better uh, and you know, solving uh, the problems that they have with, uh, with exciting new solutions uh, is, is a way to stay young, to stay fresh, uh, and, uh, you know, I love the work that we do uh, at uh, the Business Innovation Tech. Mm, and I, I, I want to talk about Biff. I want to talk about the uh, the new book. But I want to talk about, because you said it's a blessing and a curse, and there's a really funny insight in, in, your, in your new book where you say that, uh, especially on the curse side, as I understand it, you, at some point after you had retired from consulting, you were getting kicked out of your own house because you were such an innovation junkie. You were driving your wife nuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, she, she, my wife will always you know, say to me, uh, don't you have a new story to tell? Because uh, I, I, I often share that story. What happened was after uh, the 20-plus years as a uh, what I call a road warrior consultant, so I was a senior partner uh, at Accenture, and I you know, had the incredible opportunity to travel around the world, uh, both building a practice and uh, working uh, with, uh, large companies in the pharmaceutical and healthcare space. But after a, a couple of years after the IPO, I had the good fortune to be able to retire. Uh, we were living in Rhode Island uh, at the time, uh, and uh, I had worked out a deal with my wife where I would take a year to figure out what I was going to do next. Uh, and she had agreed. You know, I'd been on a plane and you know, traveling Monday through Friday for a lot of years. Uh, about three months in, uh, she reneged on the deal. It turns out there wasn't a job opening at home. We, she really didn't need uh, a strategy consultant at home advising on household operations. Uh, and uh, heavily suggested that I find something else to do. Uh, so I did. I, I made the mistake of raising my hand to the, the governor at the time in Rhode Island, and I became an accidental bureaucrat uh, working in economic development, uh, first as the number two guy in the agency, and then ultimately being asked to leave the agency and join uh, the governor's uh, cabinet. Uh, so 
uh, I got to think about innovation for the first time in my life and career through the lens of a community instead of the lens of a corporation. And it was life-changing for me. Uh, it informed a lot of what uh, I do today in trying to mobilize, you know, bold, transformational you know, social change. Uh, and it made my wife happy because I was out uh, busy uh, again and not, uh, uh, not making suggestions on how we could improve the operations at home. Mm. One of the really cool things that came out of your, your work as an accidental bureaucrat, et cetera, was this idea of uh, the Business Innovations Factory, and then it's kind of its um, the, the conference, I figure, is its first real offspring, but its second uh, offspring is the book Business Model Innovation Factory. And, and in the, the Business Model Innovation Factory, you actually coin a really cool term. You, you take a noun and turn it, proper noun, I should say, and turn it into a verb, and that's being Netflixed. Um, what is being Netflixed? Yeah, uh, uh, being Netflixed uh, is uh, having your business model be completely disrupted, you know, destroyed, uh, displaced uh, by uh, uh, by competition or uh, the disruptor of the marketplace. So what happened, uh, as uh, everybody can relate to, you know, if you if you recall blockbusters, I think everybody knows where the the local blockbusters was on the corner, you know, in their neighborhood. Uh, there were 5,000 blockbuster outlets uh, around the country at its peak, uh, and their business model uh, was to enable us to get movies first, uh, VCRs, you know, and then uh, ultimately DVDs that we could go pick up and bring to our house. And, and, and the value proposition was, you know, very clear. You know, I could just uh, I could watch movies, uh, you know, that same evening just by going to the local blockbusters. And uh, things were going great until uh, a little startup uh, called Netflix came along uh, and didn't invent anything new. You know, just basically figured out that you could take a DVD and instead of needing the bricks and mortar of that corner store, we could put it in the mail. And now the proposition was I could, I could get that movie directly to my own home. Uh, and uh, at first, Blockbusters you know, thought it was a niche player. Uh, you know, it wasn't going to have any uh, impact. Uh, the folks from Netflix even went down uh, to to Dallas to talk to Blockbusters to say, "Why don't we partner? You, know, you can do the in-store uh, work, and we'll partner with you, and we'll do all the online you know, through the mail piece." And Blockbusters laughed at that. Well, of course, Reed Hastings and the team at uh, Netflix uh, went on uh, to completely destroy Blockbuster's model. And, of course, Blockbuster's went out of business, uh, losing investors billions and billions of dollars of shareholder uh, value. So I call that being Netflixed. And I think every organization is vulnerable to being Netflixed uh, today, uh, to being totally disrupted. Uh, if you can't figure out a way... Uh, to experiment with entirely new business models, even those that disrupt uh, your core business. And that's exactly you know, what I write about in the, the Business Model Innovation Factory. How do we reinvent ourselves, our organizations, and our communities so that we can stay relevant in the 21st century uh, when business models don't last as long as they used to? And and I love that you uh, used every organization and talked about that because I think you know it's called the business model innovation factory, but there's more to business models than just 
for-profit businesses. Uh, talk a little bit about first how you define uh, the term business model and then why it applies to not just the for-profit industry but all across the sectors. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, every organization has a business model, you know, whether it's explicit, we talk about it, you know, or whether it's implicit. A business model is very simply uh, the story of how an organization creates, delivers, and captures value. The story of how an organization creates, delivers, and captures value. And every organization has one, right? Not just businesses. It could be a school. It could be a government agency. I mean, every organization has a way that they create value you know, for a group of customers. They, those customers could be students at a school patients uh, at a hospital, it has a way it delivers value, and it has a way that it captures value. Of course, if it's a for-profit business, you know, and sells its products or services in the marketplace, you know, creates a profit that it can return to its uh, shareholders. But the same thing is true, you know, for any school. A government agency has a business model. You know, the way it captures value is by uh, collecting taxes, you know, from the citizens. It still needs to capture value in order to deliver, you know, the services that it, it, it delivers. So, so I think business models aren't just for business, uh, and uh, every organization in both the public and private sector has one today, and in the 21st century where business models don't last as long and they're more vulnerable to being Netflixed, it's very important to build the capacity for what I call R&D for new business models. We should be experimenting for new business models the same way we experiment with new technology and products today. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I One of the connections I, I made a lot of times when I was reading um, the Business Model Innovation Factory was the connection to Clay Christensen's famous Innovator's Dilemma. But the, the irony is when he wrote that, I think he was applying to sort of products and services. Uh, yet, you know, the business model would stay the same, but the technology you're offering should change. And this is even, you know, one step further on the entire way that you deliver that value will probably change in the in the lifetime or sometimes even the single tenure of one CEO. Um, it can change, which has kind of never happened before. No, it never did. I mean, in an industrial era, it, you ran an organization uh, with one business model your whole career. So you never had to change it. So they didn't teach you in business school, you know, how to reinvent your business model. Your peers, you know, never had to change their business model. So it's not surprising that this has never been, you know, a real imperative. But the game has changed. Business models are being disrupted. Business models are going to have to change. So the leadership uh, challenge in the 21st century is how do I pedal the bicycle of my current business model while simultaneously creating the conditions to do the R&D for potentially new ones? And the hardest part is to explore new business models that might disrupt the existing one. So if you're a blockbuster, how do you experiment with the Netflix business model so that you're able to expand that model, or at least you know enough about that new model so that you're going to be better able to withstand the pressure of Netflix when it comes along? And of course, the, the postscript to the Netflix story is even Netflix has to worry about being Netflix. Right, because now, of course, you know, very few people get the DVDs through the mail. We stream the video online. 
And, of course, Netflix is trying to figure out how to reinvent its business model, uh, and it's been under a lot of stress. Uh, recently, it's had some real success. Uh, you know, I'm certainly rooting for it to succeed. But the point is that even if you're Netflix, you have to worry about being Netflixed, and you better be experimenting with the next-generation business model while you're still pedaling the bicycle of the current one. No, absolutely. And I love the term, the R&D for business models, or, or as you call it, you know, business model innovation factory. How, how, do, how can we get started on that? How can organizations, where's the best way to start in developing this mindset um, that we need to keep looking for new ways to innovate our business model? Well, the first step is to recognize that we have to that we have to play with new business models. So most organizations, you know, will have you know an innovation department today, right? The problem is they lump together what I'll call incremental change to the current business model, ways to improve its performance, either with new products and services or improving its capability. That right, and they lump that together with bolder, more transformational change, like let's put a whole new business model in play. The problem is that everybody in the core business model, right, is incented to focus on improving the current business model, not disrupt it, not create an entire new one. So to tell an innovation department, you know, I want you, you know, to work on both incremental change and significant business model change, guess what happens? Everything, you know, ends up with language saying we're going to be bold, you know, we're going to be transformational. What I really hate, we're going to think outside of the box. But what happens is almost every initiative ends up being incremental, right? And it's predictable because all the line executives are going to move projects towards outcomes that can affect the current business model within their responsibility. If you want to do business model innovation, you have to identify it as a discrete strategic objective, and you have to organize differently for business model change than from incremental change to the current business model. You have to assign it differently. You have to provide protection to the business model projects when the line wants to marginalize it. You know, or make it more incremental. So that's why I use the term you know, business model innovation factory, or think of it as a sandbox where you can experiment and play with capabilities by combining them in new and different ways to change the way we deliver value. And, and what are some of the companies, I mean, we talked about Netflix, but even Netflix is uh, running this risk of being Netflix, first with the whole Quickster sort of debacle. But yep. I actually yep. find it interesting, one of their best R&D measures ever was to sort of crowdsource their algorithm and do the Netflix prize. And by the time they had a winner, oh, yeah. they had already decided not to use the Netflix prize uh, algorithm because they had already shifted their business model away. But what are some of those other organizations that are doing this, that have a business model innovation factory set up? Well, the best example, you know, the one everybody talks about is Apple, right? Because if you think about what Apple did, particularly under Steve Jobs' uh, leadership, I mean, they were a classic business model innovation factor, right? Everything Steve Jobs did was what I call market-making versus share-taking, right? Most of the world is comprised with share-takers and organizations that are share takers. Here's the market we compete in. Here's what our current position or our share of that market is. Now, how do we protect our existing share, and how do we 
uh, add additional share points to that. That's the way most organizations compete. That's the way most leaders manage. Where are the market makers? Right, people and organizations that are creating entirely new markets, you know, that are establishing entirely new business models. That's exactly what Apple did, right? It didn't go in, you know, to the MP3 business. It changed the entire way we access and enjoy music through a business model that combined a cool product technology, you know, with a cool service platform in the form of iTunes. And it was that business model, you know, that completely disrupted, you know, everything from, you know, Tower Records, where we used to go to buy the records, you know, to companies like Sony, who should have been in the position to own that market. I mean, think about it. Sony at the time had a, you know, a huge division that managed uh, all of their contracts with artists and musicians. Right. They had all the big name musicians, you know, under under management. And then right next door they had a division that created the product technology. They they, they developed and commercialized the Walkman, for heaven's sakes. Uh, I I had one of those, so I'm old. Right? I mean I had a Walkman. I mean, why is it that Sony didn't change the way that we access and enjoy music? They had all the pieces. Well, the reason I believe is that they were so busy pedaling the bicycle of their current business model, which were two separate operating groups, one for the product technology, you know, one to manage the relationships with the, mu- the musical artists, and they couldn't work effectively to design and implement an entire new business model. And along came Steve Jobs, you know, and he had the platform to do it, uh, and, you know, the rest, you know, became history. And, and he did it multiple times, you know, where he created an entire new business model, you know, with the iPhone, uh, with the iPad. It wasn't just a product. It was a new business model. And he was not afraid of disrupting the existing business, you know, when he did that. And that's what more companies are going to need to do if they're going to avoid being Netflix. No, it's a, it's a great example. I mean, I, I, we talk about often about how Jobs wasn't afraid to cannibalize existing market share um, it, for the expense of a, a newer product, a new market. And I, I like the way that you use the term um, share takers versus market makers. I, I was reading – I'm sorry it took me so long to, to get to it. Uh, but I was reading your book actually during the – it was about halfway through it when the Super Bowl launched, and everybody talks about the Super Bowl and commercials and all that sort of stuff. And really it was a, it was a new light to view uh, the majority of those ads because really what the majority of them were were outdated business models with products that were defining success based on what percent of the market they could get and, and trying to make you laugh to do it. And the one – I thought it was kind of interesting. I read a couple articles leading up to and just after the Super Bowl that the the one company that had – some new sort of model to offer was this company SodaStream, and in fact, their oh, yeah. their value proposition was so um, unique that there was actually a hubbub, and they had to change their commercial because they felt like it it offended it would offend Coke and Pepsi, two big Super Bowl advertisers, too much. But those are you know share takers, and over here is a market maker trying to use the Super Bowl to make a difference. 
Yeah, and I, we need more market makers, right? And not just from a traditional business sense. I mean, the same thing is true, again, come out of the business world, you know, into the education space, into the healthcare space. I mean, you know, why aren't we doing R&D for what the next generation of a hospital should look like or the next generation of a school? We just have to get more comfortable. Sometimes they use the, the technical term, try more stuff. We have to try more stuff, and, and somewhere along the way, you know, we beat that out of ourselves, right, because we were afraid to fail. So we only take on those projects where you know, we can demonstrate that there's a proven return, you know, that it makes it through five different committees you know, before we invest the first dollar in it, right? These are fine you know, techniques if you're trying to improve the existing business model. But if you want to invent an entire new business model, you know, you've got to get out in the marketplace. You've got to put a business model into the real world and see if it works and then fix it if it doesn't. And that's not something we're accustomed to doing in our organizations. And so I believe that we have to get much better at doing that, trying more stuff, you know, taking an idea more quickly, you know, from the back of our napkin, you know, or the whiteboard and putting it out into the real world where we can prototype and test it you know, to see if it works. And then if it works, then we can start thinking about how do we scale it uh, and whether it should displace our existing business model or be an additional you know, extension to it. And I, I love that that soundbite. Try more stuff. I'm thinking about I might I might design myself a desktop background so I can see that more often. The idea. There you just, go. Just simply try more stuff. Well, if you if you want to try more stuff, uh, the Business Model Innovation Factory is a phenomenal way to do it. You can also learn a bit more about how to innovate a business model at a stellar conference that Saul helps organize called BIF, Business Innovation Factory. Tell me a little bit about, about BIF. Yeah, so BIF is the organization I founded, you know, the Business Innovation Factory, and it is you know, a community of about 5,000 uh, like-minded innovation junkies, uh, organizations that want to go up the learning curve we've been talking about. How do we go from tweaks to transformation? You know, how do we work in this business model innovation space? And then we have a series of labs where we do sponsored project work you know, with our community, uh, with our partners, uh, where we're putting the tools to work you know, to take concepts, put them into the real world, and see if we can't stand up uh, new business models and ways to, to deliver value. We run an annual conference uh, called the Collaborative Innovation Summit. It's a celebration of our community. It sells out every year. This year it's on September 19th and 20th in Providence, Rhode Island. It has about 450 people that come from all over the world. It runs very much like a TED conference. Uh, it's a smaller, more intimate where we have a number of storytellers that share compelling transformation stories from across every industry and part of our society. The only common theme are people you know, that are sharing personal stories of transformation. Uh, and we believe in this idea that we call random collisions of unusual suspects. We think the gold is in the gray area between our silos. So we've put together a conference that allows us to enable these random collisions of unusual suspects where you're able to learn from people you know, outside of your industry and to dive into the gray area to look for new ideas, new relationships, uh, new concepts you know, that can move you know, and help you reinvent yourself 
uh, your organization and your community. It's an incredibly inspiring two days. I look forward to it every year. This is the ninth year that we've done it. Uh, and uh, anybody that wants can check it out. Uh, go to the website, businessinnovationfactory.com. You'll see information about it. Uh, uh, but people come away from these two days uh, totally jazzed, uh, ready to take on bolder initiatives uh, with a whole new set of uh, connections uh, that they can bring to bear. No, awesome. Now, I want to shift a little bit from uh, business model innovation from from Biff to you. Uh, what are you reading now? Well, I uh, I read. I'm a consummate uh, reader. Uh, I'm, I'm about halfway through uh, the Thomas Jefferson book by John Meacham, so I always try to put some historical novels in there. But I just finished uh, I just finished Bruce Nussbaum's new book called Creative Intelligence. Uh, Bruce sent me the galleys uh, to it, and it's uh, about to be uh, published. Uh, and anyone who doesn't know Bruce, uh, he's at the New School now. He was at Business Week. He's one of the first guys to understand the importance of design thinking and process uh, as a critical component of the innovation uh, process. And his new book is absolutely awesome. It's called Creative uh, Intelligence. Uh, and uh, it, it really talks about unleashing you know, the creative potential uh, within all of us and tells some, some really excellent stories that you can relate to and provides some really actionable insights uh, that, uh, that we can use. I really enjoyed it. I, and I, the book has been um, the book's been out for a while, and I know you're uh, in the midst of conference planning for um, the September conference. But what what else is next for you? What's on the horizon? Is there another book we should be expecting to look out for? Or? Well, I'm still traveling around talking about the book. You know, uh, knock on wood. You know, the the interest is still quite high. It's global, uh, and uh, you know, so I'm still talking about you know, the business model innovation factory. But we are busy not only preparing you know for the summit, but you know, we have you know probably a half a dozen uh, projects right now uh, that are really really interesting. You know, work uh, in healthcare. You know, where we're trying to rethink. You know, the healthcare system, uh, how do we build a wellness system designed around the patient uh, that's more uh, pull and less push, you know, from central uh, healthcare institutions? We're doing work in education. How do, how do we get students more actively engaged in designing uh, their own schools and their own experience? Uh, so uh, the project work is, is really, really interesting right now. Our team, you know, is getting uh, bigger. Uh, we're adding to our staff, uh, and uh, we're just really excited about conversations that we're having and the interest uh, in the business model innovation work uh, that we're doing. I mean, I think business model innovation is the new strategic imperative. I think people are beginning uh, to recognize that, uh, and uh, you know, we're just glad to be you know, in the mix uh, and uh, influencing the conversation you know, that gives people more access to the language and the tools necessary uh, to reinvent their business models. There certainly is a need for it, so that's for sure. So um, I know that you'll be talking about it for, for a really long time. Unfortunately, I should say, I know that you'll be talking about it for a really long time because the need is definitely there. And so any, any help that we can provide, we're, we're pleased to. And so, again, I want to encourage uh, our listeners, check out the Business Model Innovation Factory. Check out businessinnovationfactory.com for some awesome talks. Um, and check out more from Saul Kaplan. Saul, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. 
Uh, David, it's uh, been, been nice to chat with you. Enjoyed it, uh, and thanks for having me.